the um, Simbanga B that we usually celebrate about five days uh, earlier than today. This is the first time in my 11 years here that uh, we uh, celebrate so close to Christmas, just two days away. So the readings are completely different. The last two or three days are just, there's a total different flavor to them. So in a way, this is a gift to us this year. Now, I guess if you were in the Philippines and doing this all nine days or in uh, one of the parishes here in Los Angeles does that, you'd hear this reading, but we don't usually hear it. So I want to comment on this and then a connection with the, um, with the prayers that we pray during the Mass on this particular day. First of all, we have this reading from Malachi, and I, I didn't understand a single word that, <laughs> that you said in that reading, but I'm assuming it's the same text exactly, okay? And um, it probably says it very beautifully, but God is speaking, and he says to, uh, again, to the people, I'm going to send my messenger, and get ready, because he's going to clean house. This messenger is going to go, and he's going to refine the people like silver and gold. And you know how they refine silver and gold? They put it under intense heat, and they burn out, boil out all the impurities. And so the image is that some work is going to be done. When my messenger goes, he's got to get you ready. And, and this is such a, a, a typical scriptural theme that is so powerful because, you know, when we're not ready for things, um, we miss them. Or if we don't miss them completely and we're not prepared, we don't celebrate them as well. And if we don't celebrate them as well, we don't get much of the fruitfulness from them. So God is saying, and, and it's Old Testament language, is always there's a little kind of wrathful piece to it. He's going to clean house. And then he says, uh, then finally he says, and then I'm going to send Elijah the prophet. Now we're ready. We're ready for the event. And he says, Lo, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the day of the Lord comes, the great and terrible day. All right? It's going to be something. But listen to what Elijah is going to attempt to try to do in the people. This is such a precious line. He says, I will send you Elijah the prophet to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of their children to their fathers. And then goes back to that wrathful language, lest I come and strike the land with doom. I'm going to show you the flip side of the coin in a moment, but focusing just on the intent and what he hopes Elijah will be able to affect in the people. That he will turn the hearts of the fathers toward their children and the hearts of their children toward their fathers. One of the things that I see in the Filipino community, and tell me if I'm wrong, but, I, but it, it's, it's pretty distinctive to me. First of all, I see a very tightly knit, close community. Um, I see that when the Filipino, uh, the, the spirituality of the Filipinos a little different than the Latinos. For example, a lot of Latinos don't go to communion for all kinds of reasons, but I think they, got an, they must have gotten an extra dose of the Spaniards. Uh, I think the Spaniards really bit them or something because they almost all, always feel unworthy. And so at a, a Latino Mass, a lot of people don't go to communion. Sometimes they don't go for years. They just, uh, just you know, it breaks my heart. But when I celebrate a Filipino Mass, almost everybody goes. You better have enough hosts because almost everybody is going to go to communion. 
That's something I see. But this other thing I see that I, I, I don't know if it's more subtle, but, it, but I'm very aware of it, is um, the tight-knitness of the families. And it strikes me that the children of Filipinos are particularly respectful of the elders. Now, I, if I'm not mistaken, isn't there a word that you say po for older or younger? And in, in the Spanish, they say usted, the formal usted. But, but I heard this many years ago, that that, that little po or whatever, the other one, one for older and one for younger also, it, it to me is just a, a beautiful sign of how in language, in language care is taken to show respect. In language, care is taken that we show the respect that is due to our elders and we appreciate uh, their value in our lives. So um, I think that this phrase, I would think, I would think that if Filipinos hear this line, that uh, Elijah sent them to, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, I think the hearts are already bent in those directions. But we can always do more. We can always do more. Now again, my observation of the Filipino community, I, I don't see very often what I hear sometimes in other cultures, including my own, um, the, the severe, the severe way of a father or mother or both treating their children, severely demanding and, and just a, a kind of a, a cold edge to it. I don't see it. Maybe it's there in some. But I think that one of the things that I, I often say this to people, I often give this as a penance. In fact, in the last week, I, I think I've given it several times to parents. I say, you know, this is your penance. Do it if you can. Do it if you want to. I don't want to force anybody to do anything I don't want to do. But here's my recommendation. When you go home between now and Christmas or now and Epiphany, whatever, doesn't matter, for each child and your spouse, find a private moment, a minute, where you can say to them, each of your children and your spouse, tell them something you admire greatly in them, a quality, a value that they have. Tell them what you observe. For example, honey, uh, you're so compassionate, and I love that about you, how compassionate you are. Or to one who tries so hard, you know, uh, to a son or daughter, I appreciate that no matter what the task is that you're given, you apply yourself 110%. It's amazing. I see how strongly and how, how greatly you respond and do your very, very, very best, and I love that in you. And I'll tell you, I think it's probably true for a spouse too, but especially for kids. When a mother or father stops and notices a good quality in them and gives that back to them, wow, that's a, that's a blessing. That's a gift. That's turning the hearts of fathers and mothers to their children and turning the hearts of children to their mothers and father. Now, when this doomsday language is spoken and, it, and, and at the very end of this, and this is, I think, because the religion of the Jews at this time was very immature. It's the only explanation I have 
It's not like talking to little kids that don't listen. You say, I'll smack you upside the head. You know, this is the way God speaks. Lest I come and strike the, the land with doom. I'll bring doomsday to you. I'm 70. I have never experienced God's doom in my life. And I'm a sinner. Never. I have never, ever, for one minute, felt that my God was going to punish me or strike me in any way. I never felt it. I, I can't speak for anyone else. But I appreciate the, the language to, I think, a very um, infant-like community of people and ignorance and illiterate and stubborn and people who had worshipped many deities. And it took a long time, hundreds of years, to turn them around to find this relationship with their God. Much truer, much better would be this expression. And this just wouldn't be heard normally, but before the Mass or the entrance song, there's a thing called the entrance antiphon that uh, it, it theoretically, if you didn't have a song, you would say this or sing this. There's one before communion called the communion antiphon, and theoretically, if you didn't have a song, you would say this or sing this. I want to read this one to you for today. It's taken from Revelation. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door to me, I will enter his house and dine with him and he with me. Now that's what I think Jesus says to us. He wants to dine with us. He wants to knock at our door and wait for us to let him enter. What an image that we would welcome Christ into our life. His knocking and entering and dining with us would be uh, just the most explicit expression of intimate, intimate love and friendship with us as his people. But today's gospel, we've been hearing... Um, of the, the Annunciation and the Visitation and all. And uh, yesterday, I think, was a visitation. And today, uh, we get the birth of John the Baptist. And of course, we hear this because he is the forerunner to Jesus. He was in the womb earlier than Jesus. And so there's a chronological kind of uh, thing that we get John's birth and then uh, tomorrow in the afternoon and evening, Jesus's. But we had this miraculous stuff going on in John as well as with Jesus, with Mary and Elizabeth. And on, not only was Elizabeth barren for so many years, she never had a child, the, the, the worst curse for the Israelite women, to be barren. And um, so finally she has this child, but it happens in this mysterious and, and grace-filled and miraculous way. And, and Zechariah in the temple uh, gets visited by an angel. The angel explains to him what's going to happen, and he says, well, I, how can it be? And and the angel strikes him dumb, mute, pardon me, says, okay, you will not speak. And so he closed his mouth and he could not utter a word until this moment. So the full pregnancy happens. John is born. They come up to the eighth day when they're going to have the circumcision. And uh, I guess in the culture, the name of the child wasn't given until that moment. And so... They go to uh, Elizabeth and say, well, what's his name going to be? Presuming, assuming it would be Zechariah, like his daddy. And he says, and she says, his name will be John. What? 
And now these people, wow, I, uh, do you use that word? Are you familiar with it, metiche? It means busybody, nosy. Uh, well, here they are, nosy, busybodies. And they tell her, the mother, what? Nobody in your family is named John. You can't be naming, you cannot possibly be naming him John. So they go to the father, Zechariah. What are you going to call him? Because it certainly isn't going to be this name. So he asks for a tablet, motions, they give him a tablet, and miraculously, right around this moment when he says, his name will be John, his mouth opens and he's able to speak, and everybody notices. And everybody sees this miraculous, glorious moment, and in the naming of the child, and, and in what this child would be. Who will he be? What will he do? And of course, we know the end of the story. We know he'll be the one who points out Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, at least in John. Extraordinary. So, wrapped around all these wonderful, miraculous, grace-filled, glorious events that lead us up to uh, the birth of Jesus, I want to focus on, on what I think um, all of the liturgy, especially the last uh, week, is meant to try to do to us. It's try to get us focused and, and with a kind of a certain quality of a way of being with one another in our faith and in all of these special liturgies. Listen to what it says in the preface. And this is the second preface of Advent. It begins on the 17th. So that there's one preface that goes all the way up until the 17th, no matter what day of the week that is. Once we get to December 17th, the second Advent preface begins. And it starts the same. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, blah, 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 the way like we always say. Then it says this. For all the oracles of the prophets foretold him, just like Malachi. For all the oracles of the prophets foretold him, the virgin mother longed for him, this is Jesus they're longing for, with love beyond all telling. Now that's the first poised way we should be preparing ourselves in love that when we come to that crib scene and when we see the baby child Jesus and when we reflect upon Christ being born into this world the second person of the blessed trinity the word made flesh through Mary came into our lives and lived among us that like Mary who waited with love Beyond all telling, she just could not wait till the birth of her son would occur. If we could maybe not match it, but catch it and grab hold to this spirit of Mary into our lives so that we would be ready for something, expecting that something glorious, mystical, grace-filled would happen in us because in love we are waiting and then it says, for all the oracles of the prophets foretold him, John the Baptist sang of his coming and proclaimed his presence when he came. John sang, he sang of his coming. Singing is something you do when you just can't control yourself, your joy just boils out over you. You just, you know, uh, it's your hallelujah, you know, we, we just... Who goes like this, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia? No, we sing it, you know. Um, John the Baptist sang 
he sang of his coming and he proclaimed it. So somehow, between now and Christmas Day, I think we are supposed to catch the spirit both of Mary and John. Somehow, not maybe literally, although we sing all these Christmas carols, we enjoy them so much, so I guess that's the gift of John through all the carols that we sing. But what about the proclaiming of his presence? How do we do that? Well, I think the best way goes right back to that first reading. That the hearts of fathers and mothers turn toward their children and the hearts of children turn toward, turn toward their parents. It just seems to me that, that something should happen in not just who we are, but how we are in these final days. And on Christmas Day, apart from the gift-giving and the celebrating and the eating and the singing, that we would uh, not make a pledge, but make a pledge to say, Lord, come on in. I want to open that door. I know you're knocking. And I know you, wanna, you don't want to just come and see me. You want to dine with me and let me dine with you. You want intimacy. You want friendship. You want a spirit of love a relationship of love. This is the Jesus that we long for and wait for. Again, I only know two cultures. I, I mean, I, I know that I've been around the Vietnamese and their culture, but I don't know what they do before Christmas. I, I don't know that my gringos do much of anything, but, but I know that the Filipinos and Latinos have the posadas and the simbangabi, and you, you take these nine days, and you do something with them to pull you into the spirit of the celebration of Christmas. So although we only do one-ninth of it here at St. Bernard, we only do one day, it still is one moment where your culture and your people gather and give the gift of Simbangabi to one another and to the parish community. And it really is a gift because it helps to prepare us, make us ready, open our eyes, get us alert to the great feast that comes upon us in Christmas.